Hey, this is Mike Brake, and I'm the pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. I want to say thank you for stopping by our podcast today. We really do believe that you're only one step away from the relationship with God that you've been wanting. So I hope the message today gives you encouragement, gives you some vision, so that you can take that next step towards freedom. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Or where I come from in Texas, it would be howdy. There's a couple of you guys here. I appreciate you. Um, no, I'm Corey Allen. Uh, that would be my wife right there, Pam. She's my co-host uh, on our weekly show that we do. comes out every Wednesday. Uh, I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old that are currently probably knee-deep in electronics on Sunday because my wife is a CPA, and so she's working all the time because it's busy season. So otherwise, she'd be here with me. Uh, it has been a blessing to be with you guys already. I've got to have dinner with some of you guys last night uh, up in the mountains where it was cold. I'm from Texas where Tuesday it was 96 degrees where I live. Uh, it's cool now, but winter is a different concept here than it is there. Um, I have the joke of winter in Texas is January 21st, and then it's just getting ready for summer. So, um, but no, where I want to go this morning with you guys is, um, obviously I'm a marriage and family therapist, and so I might use the word marriage a lot, but I want you to recognize this applies to every relationship. Because I think we were created in relationship. I think it's a foundational thing God put in place. And I believe there's a purpose behind it. And I think he has marriage in mind because it's the one place that helps us grow up the most. I think marriage was designed to help us grow up, period. The world would have you believe something different, right? And if you don't believe me, and they all lived... Yeah, see, we've all been sold a bill of goods. And that's what Hollywood and Hallmark want us to buy into because that's the whole point that they, we, that they would subscribe is makes life better. It's just be happy. But we have to realize this is, this is something buried deep within us. Because you guys remember when you were a little kid and some of you were in here that are still the little kids. That's awesome. Apparently, I have a new best friend with um, Jeremiah he and I hit it off last night, and I was informed this morning from his parents that I'm going to be a best friend. So I'm excited about that. I can use more best friends. Um, but you remember when you were a little kid? Because when I was a little kid in the backyard, um, and I would do the imaginary games, right? It's the bottom of the ninth. There's two outs. Bases are loaded. My team's down by three runs. It's a full count. And what happens? I always hit the home run in my imaginary games. Every single, never in my imagination did I strike out. But yet when you grow up, what happens? Lo and behold, we strike out. Lo and behold, we don't even get in the game. Lo and behold, there's a rain out. I mean, there's all kinds of things happen because life in and of itself is conflict. And I didn't know next week is about fighting. I may have to come back. You know, I like fighting. Um, but it's that idea of realizing there's something bigger going on here. And I think that there's a reason, and it's because when God, if, if you guys go back, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. The stories you might be familiar with already, I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing, but you can refer back to it as we're going. Because in Genesis chapter 2, God's created everything to this point. And he's looking back, it's day 5. He's, he's hanging out, looking at it, going, it's good. Because if you look at it, every single day of what he's done, what was the marker on it? It's good. 
And, so, and then on day six, God realizes, you know what? Let's create man. And I always wondered why in the world, God, you got this perfect existence. You know, you got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that's been existing since Trinity. And it's basically this big, long triad love fest going on where they're just hanging out going, I love you, man. Well, I love you too, and I love you. And there's just nonstop. It's just, a, it's just it's the essence of love. And then I came across several years ago someone that posited this idea of, well, what would be the most loving thing that love in and of itself could do? Well, create something to enjoy it. Hence, man. So Adam is fashioned from the dust. I actually saw this in the hotel this morning, that we came from dust, we will go to dust, and therefore we, we all are dust, so therefore I don't dust because I might be dusting a friend. <laughs> That's pretty creative. <laughs> but so, where was I? I just got off track on what I was thinking of. Um, so he creates man. And then he places them in the Garden of Eden. And that's a big factor. That's a big difference between Adam and Eve. And that's one of the things we'll unpack just a little bit. But Adam was created in the wilderness, placed in Eden, and given a couple of rules. The main one being, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? And I always wondered, again, God, you got to help me out with your logic here. Because if you're like me, if I'm told don't do something, what's my urge? To go do it, right? Wet paint, do not touch. <laughs> right. I'll touch it. Right? And so why in the world would God say, don't do this? But everything else, great. Well, there's a reason he did. But we'll get to that in just a second. So Adam is in the garden. He's ruling the garden. He's, he's tending the garden. He's living in his existence. And then all of a sudden, the scripture says, man was lonely. And this is another important fact in this story that we've missed. Loneliness is a pre-fall condition. Loneliness existed before sin entered the world. I always thought sin is what created loneliness and longing. But no, it came before it. And so what does God do? The story goes on to say Eve comes into the picture. But not before Adam has the first factory assembly line job. A couple of you know where I'm going with this. Okay. Because scripture says God brought all the animals and the beasts of the, of the world to him to name them. And so historians and theologians have gone back and think this was a years-long process of Adam basically naming every animal in existence. So fellas, if you think you've got a tedious job come Monday morning, Adam got up every single morning and as creatures rolled past, he's naming them. I mean, can you imagine that? Dog. Donkey. I'm not even out of the D's, man. <laughs> Dinosaur. That would have been interesting. But if you think about it, there's a purpose God had that happen. Because no suitable helpmate was found. No suitable mate or match was found. And so then scripture says God put Adam down into a deep sleep, took a rib, fashioned Eve, presented her to him, and he actually has a pretty much a guttural sigh of like, oh, she makes sense. I think that's the only time a man's ever said that about a woman. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you guys are paying attention. She makes sense. And that's actually where the scripture has the first poetry in, in the Bible. This is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She 
Makes sense. I get this. So now we got some differences here. Adam and Eve are to rule and subdue, be fruitful and multiply, and once again, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the reason the tree exists, because again, why would God give us a way out if he knows we're going to take it? The reason it exists is if we as human beings and as creatures don't have choice in a way out, there cannot be love. So God was willing to take the risk to say, I know you may choose something different, but I'm going to take it anyway because I want you to choose me. It's what we all are trying to avoid and confront in various levels throughout our entire life. I want to be chosen, but it's a scary proposition to think I may not be. So I can do a lot of different things to try to manufacture choice, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So Adam and Eve going through the day, and what Scripture says at the very end of chapter 2, and this is one that's kind of an interesting phrase in there by Moses, and the man and woman were naked and they had no shame. It's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? I mean, idealistic existence and paradise means you're naked. I don't know if I'm thinking that's a good idea for paradise. I, nakedness, you know, it doesn't sound like paradise to me sometimes, right? I mean, you guys are all really sexy people, but it's a whole different word of freedom, church, if it's sans clothes. I mean, so follow the story, though. So the serpent tricks Eve. Eve takes of the fruit, eats it, hands it to her husband, which Scripture infers was there with her. He eats it, and now all of a sudden their eyes are open, and what's the first thing they notice? They're naked. And what do they do? They cover themselves. They hide. And so now maybe Moses is talking about something incredibly profound here, right? It's not just the fact that I'm naked and exposed. It's the fact that now I have shame, and I want to hide. Because nudity has an interesting comedic quality to it, doesn't it? There's a sign in a Seinfeldian sense, right? I just dated myself for some of you in the audience. But isn't it interesting that we're the only species in the world that wears clothes? There's two tribes that I've come across in the, over the years of, of doing this kind of work, one in Papua New Guinea and one in Africa, where all they wear is a string across their waist. But if they take that string off, they feel shame. Isn't that interesting? So there's something in us that wants to hide, that's not sure about who we are. Because I don't know about you, but I'm acutely aware of when I'm naked. I mean, I didn't show up to the airport yesterday. When they asked for my, my uh, ID, I didn't go, whoa, I, whoa, I lost. I didn't bring anything. Right? It just doesn't happen. We all know. But yet, as life goes on, and I realize there's shame, and there's something that's missing, because when Adam and Eve sinned, the connection between God and that flow of love was cut off. So it actually went, if you think about it, Adam and Eve were living in an existence that was just filled with I love yous. Right? I mean, it was just this constant, I love you. I love you. I love you. And some of us may have to go way back in our history to think of a time where it brings that kind of a warmth and comfort to us. Right? Where you just know you were loved and accepted and cherished and honored. But then life comes in and has a weird, destructive way sometimes of taking that away. And so when the sin actually happened, I think it kind of went like this. It went, I love you, 
I love you, I love you, I love you. I... It stopped. That connection that we had with God was severed because God can't be around sin. He's too pure of a being. And so later on in the story, God pursues you so much and he cares about you so much, he sends his only son to get you back, to give a conduit back to him. But with us, what it does with us is if we've lost that kind of a connection, now all of a sudden I'm going to spend a great deal of time trying to get it from other sources. Because if I feel shame, if I'm not sure of who I am, if I have insecurities, if I have uncertainties, what will I do? I'll reach out and I'll try to get you to help me feel better. Or I'll reach out and I'll get you to try to help me feel better. And I'll start going to all these different links and relationships to try to help me feel better. Because look at it again. If you're talking about the whole idea of what would it take to be naked without shame, what kind of relationship is that where you truly are without shame? You're talking about a great deal of trust, a great deal of history together, a great deal, a great deal of being known and knowing who you're with. But we spend a lot of time trying to feel better about ourselves because I don't feel good about myself. You guys tracking with me so far? So as life is unfolding with Adam and Eve, God then comes in and gives them clothes. First sacrifice, right? To make, a, to make us feel better about ourselves. And then if you follow the entire story of the Bible, it's the story of men and women and, and civilizations Leaving God, coming back to God. Leaving God, coming back to God. And the one constant in it all is God and his love and his pursuit of us. But how do we do human relationships better? That's where I want to spend the remainder of time. Mike, you might come coming up and just say, I'm going to use you in just a minute. So as you're working through human relationships, how do you start to recognize that the frustration and the struggle, and the pain that comes with relationship. I mean, if you're not certain about pain in relationship, I don't even know how to finish that statement, actually. Um, because if you think about it, if God created marriage, like I believe, to help us grow up, what better way to do it than put us with someone that we love and drives us crazy? Sometimes at the exact same time. Because they know you. You cannot hide who you are with the people you live in close proximity to. So nothing demands our growth more than marriage with a close second being parenting. Because how many times does your children be exact mirrors of you? And what do we want to do? Get them to stop that behavior that I taught them how to do. My daughter, who's 14, would have a constant whenever I'd holler at her when I needed something from across the house. She would go, what? And it was a tone that was just so grating until I realized, that's me. Oh, ouch. So I go back to her and say, how about let's both work on our tone with each other? And that's a different concept rather than you need to treat me with more respect. Because if I'm not acting respectable, that's good judgment on her part. Right? So looking at life 
a lot of what we do when it comes to relationships is when we meet and fall in love. I'm going to use Mike as an example. for. So this, I think this is a great way to view what happens in relationship. Okay, so you come across somebody that you want to do a relationship with, and if it's a loving relationship and a romantically inclined relationship, your brain is going to get flooded with a chemical that makes you obsessive and longing for them. That's a chemical thing that happens. It's phenylethylamine is the chemical that comes from your amygdala. And they don't know what actually, how it like actually triggers other than that new love, that new connection. They also don't know why it goes away. They just know it lasts anywhere from six months to two years, which look at that time frame and how cruel that could be. That's about long enough time to meet, fall in love, get engaged, get married, and come home from your honeymoon. And then all of a sudden that thing's gone and you're looking at your partner going, who are you? Where'd that person I fell in love with go? I've said that in my 26-year marriage, and my wife has said that many times in our 26-year marriage. But what happens when we fall in love with somebody or we start a relationship is we actually do this, okay? Lean in. All right. Well, this is kind of slippery stage. This is dangerous. All right. You got insurance? Okay. No, I'm joking. Okay, perfect. So when we're in a relationship, this is how we start, right? The feelings that I get, the great comfort, the acceptance, the love, the bond comes from this that's being created. So the problem is most marriages stay this way. And if I stay this way in my relationship, what happens when it comes to my own balance, security, importance, identity? Who am I going to focus on more, me or Mike? This is the time where you help me out on, on, a, on a conversation. Mike. On Mike. Why would it be Mike? Because he's holding me up. If I do something that makes Mike mad or he gets tired, what's he going to do? Oh, hello. <laughs> See? And all of a sudden, I fall. But if I stay this way, now all of a sudden, if my importance is on him for my identity, I have to be very, very careful of what I say or do because I don't want to make him mad. So if we stay this way, we got problems. But I think marriage is designed to help us do this. Stand on our own two feet. There are times where I will lean in, when tragedy, crisis, major things go on. I want to lean in. But I think I've got to also be looking at how do I stand on my own two feet last time. Because if we're like this, how close can we really get even? Not very. But if we stand on our own two feet, we can get as close as we want. Or, no, I think I need a little space. You didn't shower this morning. And, you know, there's a bunch of different things. We, you know, so now we get both have a whole lot more say over how it goes on in our life. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So when you, yeah, give them a round of That was a huge thing. So if we're looking at life as it's designed to help us grow up, what's the most loving thing I can do for my partner or the people I'm in relationship with. I can handle me better to present something worth being with. Because we all want to be wanted. We all want to be chosen. It's a fundamental thing. It was in the existence with Eden. It's an idealistic thing deep down in our DNA. We want what we once had. Problem is, here on this earth, we won't get it. 
That's heaven. That's to come. That's when all things are made right. But in this time, we're dealing with the conflict. We're dealing with the struggle. And so we've got to start to look at how do I handle me better to be in relationship with me? And then one of the questions I ask myself and my wife asks a lot is, would I want to be in relationship with me? Because sometimes that's an easy yes, sometimes that's an easy no. But what do I do when it's a no? I expect her to just give me grace. Right? We all, if you got married and you had the normal traditional wedding vows, you had the, the phrase in there most likely, for better, for worse. Right? So the unspoken assumption is there will be as little as worse possible because I'm working on it. But then when you get further into the relationship, all of a sudden now you can say, you said for better, for worse, you got to take it. As if I'm now innocent of my worst. So one of the things I found in my life is that I had a lot of times where when I was bored or I felt uncertain of myself or insecure about things, I would reach out to my wife to have her help me feel better about me. But I would not be real gracious about it. I would make the phone calls in the middle of the day while I was driving and I would interrupt my wife, who's a CPA, and his, when she's in a zone, she does not like to be interrupted. Anybody else married to someone that is a zone worker? Am I the only anomaly here? Okay, thank you for joining me out on this ledge. So I would call her. She would answer the phone, and what I, and she, and what I would hear is, what? Because, <laughs> you know, caller ID, you can't hide who's on the other line. What I'm hoping she would say is, oh, I was just thinking about you. I'm so great. It's so great that I'm married to you. I am the luckiest woman in the world. I just cannot wait to be home with you tonight. No. Instead, I get, what do you need? Because I just interrupted her world. Because it's a humbling experience to realize I'm not as important to my spouse as I'd like to think I should be. Let that set for just a little bit for some of you. But it's the reality. I'm not that important to her. I'm important, yes. But her job is her relationship with herself and her God. And then other people. And I think those can be interchanged. I think me, me practicing self-care is a godly thing. Me being the best me is a conduit of God for others. So when I would reach out in those ways... I'm trying to get her to help me do something I need to do for myself. And so if I can start, to, when I started to recognize this, it changed my dynamic. And now to this day, if I pick up the phone to call my wife, I have a momentary pause of what am I calling for? Because if it truly is, I'm just feeling really uncertain. I'm just feeling really insecure. I'm scared about this. I'm unsure about that then I need to be more forthcoming with what I'm looking for from her, or I need to take the moment to realize I don't, I, she can't do that. But if it's something I need from her with, regarding the kids or schedules or picking up something, then I'm going to call and interrupt her, and I'll just get the what, and I'll deal with what I need to, and I move on. But if you look at the subtlety and the power of if you see how marriage is designed to help us grow up, you can start to recognize what is this presenting? How am I seeing me? in this? What's being revealed about me in this? Why am I un so unsure about this? Because look at the sophistication of this. 
Okay, there's, there's been two major gridlock things in my marriage. One has been the going to bed together or not. Surprisingly, this is a huge fight in my house. The other is money, which that's a bigger, more common one. Because we don't fight about things, we fight about money. I'm giving away whatever's, you know, I'm giving you something extra for tomorrow, next week. So come back, hear more. I don't even know if you're going there, but it sounds good. Um, we fight about the meanings of things. And I was raised in a family where money was secret. It was not talked about. In the times where necessity had to have it be talked about, it was incredibly tense and frustrating, and everybody was trying to get out of the conversation. Well, my brilliant mind is I go meet, marry, fall in love with a CPA. Where money is not secret, everything is to the T, spreadsheets. I, I actually make a joke with my wife all the time about how spreadsheets are foreplay for her because she loves the Excel thing, and when it all balances, woohoo! she just had a great experience. Um, but it's seeing it as I'm now in this relationship with somebody that sees life completely different in that context than I do. Because I see money as a means to get things. She sees money as security and support for our future. Which one of us is right? Both. Well, you're supposed to say me, because she's not here to defend herself. No, you're both. So it's recognizing that that's the play going on between us, that she's more comfortable doing it one way, I'm more comfortable doing it another way. So she has all of these tricks, because she's a brilliant woman, that she's figured out how to get me into budget conversations. And the best way is a 15-hour road trip, because <laughs> I can't go anywhere in the conversation. I have to stay a part of it. But she's even smarter because she frames it in, what would you want to be doing in five years from now? What about 10 years from now? What about 20? Because that's my world. That's the creative, imaginary juices. Let's go. Yeah, we could do this. Let's take the kids there. Let's do this. And after we go through this conversation, and I'm now jazzed, she pulls out another notebook, says, well, we're going to have to do a budget for this. And I, I still remember this. We're driving across western Kansas, which what else are you going to do across western Kansas than have a budget conversation? And I got mad at first, and then I looked at her and just said, nicely played, babe. <laughs> nicely played. But it was still an uncomfortable conversation for me. And so it's recognizing that whole facet of stuff, there's nothing going wrong. Those of you that uh, Rita mentioned this morning, if you've had a week of just feeling isolated, alone, uncertain, unsure. I'm going to say as a human being to another human being, there's nothing necessarily going wrong there. That's life in a fallen world. We long for connection. We long for touch. We long for relationship. And what I have to recognize is my best path towards relationship is handling me and being cleaner about what I need from those around me, which a lot of times means just revealing more of me. Saying what's really going on. And then taking the steps and the work to do what's necessary to be better. Because in my marriage, there is a higher desire and a lower desire in everything, I believe. One of you wants something more than another. My wife wants more security from money than I do. I want more sex than she does. 
She likes to travel and eat more crazy places in food than I do. I'm the whole, we've got kids. We need to eat at the established places because they could get sick and die. And she's all, it doesn't matter that a biker gang's there. That's got to be good food. And so she puts me to shame with her adventure on let's go try that. And it freaks me out. But it's good for me. And so it's recognizing how do I start to see when I'm uncomfortable about something that may mean nothing's going wrong. It's a chance for me to expand me. And it's a chance for me to experience more of each other. And then, this is where it's really cool, I get to see more of God and how he shows up because there's more of me present because of him. And there's more of a connection with those I care most about. And then when I have the times where it is rough and I do need to lean in, I can be honest about that. I can come home and say, man, I'm just really unsure about this going on. I'm scared. And if I have a partner or friends that are in it with me, they'll sit there with me, not necessarily have to solve my problem. Because that's one of the things we do as human beings is we solve other people's problems before we're even asked to solve their problems. But there's tremendous power to learning, how do I just be with someone else? And the best way to do that is be good with me. So the more I can start to go through this journey of recognizing life is about being better, evolving. Because those of you that have been married past 10 years, past 15 years, past 20 years, or those of you that are longing for relationships, or those of you that are in here that have been alive past five years, seven years, 10 years, are you better today than you were 10 years ago? Maybe not in every aspect of your life, but most likely there is an upward trend going, right? Because human beings just get better. We just evolve. We learn. We get back up and we try again. And I think that's because of the power of God. That's because of his grace. It's because of the sacrifice Christ made. And it's recognizing that I want you to see that whenever you're in a relationship that you, that you care about, because this is, every relationship matters, but if you get a little cross with the drive through attendant, it really doesn't alter your day. Right? It's not as high up the priority list. It matters. But if you get cross with your spouse right before walking out the door, or with a kid right before dropping them off at school, or with a mother on the phone that lives three states away right when you hang up and you've got something big going on, it matters. It impacts you more. But I want you to recognize that when you're dealing with the, fr the frustrations that go on in life, if what you're fighting about isn't a moral thing, it's, you're just fighting about what brings you relief and comfort. You want life a certain way. We all do. And we're fighting to have it a certain way. Last story. I was, I was raised by a parents, uh, still married 54 years now. Um, and my mom, I married, uh, my father's a professor. And so he is one that stays up at 76. He's still a full-time professor. And he stays up late and he grades papers. And so some of my fondest memories as a teenager was staying up late with him watching SportsCenter or Cheers. Because mom, about 9, 9.30, every single night, would kiss him goodnight and head back to bed because she loved to read at that stage in life. And so I would watch them, her go back to bed, and dad and I would stay up. 
And then when I was getting tired, I finally would head back to bed, and he would still be up. So I marry a woman whose parents were married 47 years before her father had passed from brain cancer. And they had a relationship where when one of them had to stay up late, the other would go, hey, how long are you going to be? Oh, I probably need a couple hours. Okay, and they would put on a movie and stay up with them because to them, they go to bed together. You can already, if you, I'm in the future too, so you already know what's happening. So when we say I do, go on our honeymoon, come home to our small little house as we're starting out life, having no clue what we're doing, what's our first fight? Bedtime. Because she's tired. Okay, I get it. It's 10 o'clock. Let's go to bed. I'll see you in later. She's like, no, 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 I'll just stay up. And then she falls asleep on the couch. And then I wake her up when I'm ready to go to bed after one sleep cycle for her. We go back, get ready for bed. I fall fast asleep because it's already past midnight at this point usually. She's now awake and mad at whom? <laughs> Me. Right. Did I do anything wrong? No. Maybe. But <laughs> so it was a fight. And my, again, I'm married to a brilliant woman. Because she would even say, if we go to bed together more, we might have more sex. <laughs> I'm like, cool. But I'm going to come back out after the sex over and watch Sports Center. I'm not sleepy at 10 o'clock. I'm sorry. So that was just kind of an evolving of how that is just wearing on us. And still to this day, there are times where I can get the signal from her. She's ready to go to bed. And I'm like, go. And she's, no, okay. You know, because we have to challenge the meanings of things. Because relationships are designed to what? Help us grow up. Challenge us. Deal with conflict better. And when I can look at that, I think I present something worth wanting because that's the whole process God has in mind. So blessings on you guys. Blessings on your relationships. Blessings on your parenting. And blessings on your church. You guys are a cool group of people. I'm going to tell a lot of people about you because this is, you got a good thing going. So thank you. Thank you again for listening to the podcast at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. A few next steps that you can take coming out of this. One is head to our website and let us know just exactly how we can help you take your next step. Also, if we have had a positive impact in your life or in your family and you want to partner with us financially, you can go to our website and click give. That will get the message out so we can impact more people through this ministry. And finally, click the subscribe button. That way you know you get the latest content from the podcast as well as rate it, review it. That will help get the message out to others. Hope you have a, a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening.